and just educate yourself. These days, it's so easy. There's tons of YouTube videos, podcasts, and books that you can learn different subjects such as investing, real estate, um, creating a business. So I would definitely start there. Welcome millionaires and future millionaires. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, the show where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their portfolio allocation. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 345. Stace, how's it going? Going great. Hanging in there. How you doing? Doing pretty good. In fact, you have a lot going on, but recently you sent me a nice, interesting article that I thought was uh, pretty applicable, and so did you. Yeah, there was an article in Entrepreneur, actually. Yeah, there was an interesting article in Entrepreneur um, that said... Gen Z millennials have gained more wealth than Gen X and boomers since 2019, thanks to this popular personal finance move. And the big takeaway here was that, particularly with the stimulus checks that younger generations received during the pandemic, uh, they invested a lot of it in the stock market, which happens to have crushed it. Yeah, it's kind of interesting too. It gets a little bit into the asset allocation mindset amongst generations and, you know, what baby boomers typically have done and how they think about asset allocation and then how Gen Zs and millennials and everybody else. And it's pretty interesting, but uh, I think it's something that we definitely saw amongst the pandemic that I, I felt like a majority of those that received some sort of stimulus check that, you know, for whatever reason, it went one of two places. One, it went into that savings account or back into the market or whatever. And then the other chunk was, it was spent on home improvement. People were locked up in their houses and, and decided to paint that wall or to, you know, do that deck or maybe a combination of all the above. And in some cases decided to completely just move. And then obviously you know, that money went back into the economy. But at any rate, pretty interesting article. And uh, yeah, thanks for sharing. It was a good one. Yeah. So big congratulations to the younger generations who uh, their wealth increased by 80% to $9.5 trillion between Q1 of 2019 and Q3 of 2023. A couple other housekeeping things. If you'd like to be on the show, send us an email, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. You drive in a day and thought, you know what? We've never had a truck driver on. So if you're a truck driver out there listening, I know there's a lot of y'all on the road. I see you quite frequently. Appreciate what you do. Keep our country rocking and rolling and running. But uh, yeah, I haven't had too many in logistics in general, but that one came to mind today from a profession that we haven't had on the show. So uh, as always, always looking for great new guests and professions. If you haven't heard your story, send us an email, millionairesinveil.gmail.com. Get you uh, scheduled here and uh, get you on the show. On today's show, we have Sophia. She is a traveling nurse practitioner, which we get into all the details behind her career, career decision. Uh, Second generation immigrant, pretty interesting story on that front. And really how her 
money and wealth journey uh, began and some of the experiences that she had in her childhood that kind of led her to, to do and make some of the decisions that she has made. And uh, yeah, she travels quite frequently for work, but then takes time off and travels abroad. And we get into all those details. So going to be a great episode with her. Net worth is uh, just a little over $1.2 million. And she has it spread pretty uh, pretty evenly between uh, some market investments and, and some real estate. Uh, ironically, even though she's kind of a transient, and, uh, but has gotten into the real estate game. And, and we talk about some kind of unique partnerships that she's done with that as well. So without any further delay, let's get into the interview with Sophia. Sophia, do you want to just give us about your background and what you're up to now? Sophia, do you want to just give us about your background and what you're up to now? Sure. Thanks for having me, guys. So I'm actually from uh, Miami, Florida. I'm second generation Haitian American. So my parents were born in Haiti and then they moved to the U.S. and raised four children, including me. And I ended up um, studying nursing since I was in high school. That My local high school had a nursing program, which my mom encouraged me to try like for fun. And, you know, at that time as a teenager, you have no idea what nursing is. <laughs> so I ended up doing it and it was actually a really challenging program, but I enjoyed it. So I continued my studies and then became a registered nurse. And then after I finished um, getting my bachelor's, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do next. So I ended up volunteering in Haiti one summer. And I saw other nurse practitioners um, treating children and patients. And I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. So I ended up going to graduate school and becoming a nurse practitioner, which I've been one for the past um, 11 years now. And after three years of working full-time in Miami, I was kind of bored doing the same thing every day and decided this was a time for me to do traveling. So now I'm a traveling nurse practitioner, which I've been doing for the past eight years. And travel nurse practitioner is a little bit different from travel nursing. It's actually called locum tenens. That's like a name they give for all providers, including physicians, which just means, you know, taking the temporary place of. Wow, that's awesome. And I can't wait to uh, get into some of the details of this. But before we do, what's your net worth today? My net worth is $1.25 million. Awesome. And how is that broken up? So I would say it's about um, 60% index funds and then 40% real estate. And is the, is the real estate single family homes or multifamily? Yeah, they're all... I have three different properties. They're all single family homes. Two of them I own with actually one of my sisters, and then one of them I own just by myself. Awesome. And has this been any of these that you've lived in that you've kind of house hacked, or how how has this kind of come about? So the house hacking is interesting because since I work full-time as a traveling nurse practitioner, my job gives me like free housing. So I work in different parts of the country, and they give me an apartment that's furnished or a house that's furnished. So I don't really need a place to live in Miami. Um, there have been times where my sister has lived in the house and she like renovated it temporarily. But currently the three houses are rented out. Awesome. And then you said 40% is in the market in index funds? Oh, 60%. 60%. Okay. Mm-hmm. And is that in in retirement accounts or tax advantaged accounts or what's the kind of the breakup and story there? Yeah, it's a mixture. So right now I have about 350000 in a brokerage account. And then in my 401k, I have about 190000 I have a SEP IRA, which is 84000 
uh, Roth IRA, only about 11,000, HSA, about 1,000. And then I have um, about 90,000 in cash just because I'm saving up for another property. Awesome. Walk us through kind of the story behind the SEP or SEP IRA that you have. Um, <laughs> I think the SEP IRA, I had established it because um, when I graduated from nurse practitioner school, I was working as a nurse nursing instructor. And I was working there only about like two years and I had an old 401k that I wanted to roll into a traditional IRA. But at the time, um, I was also working as a nurse practitioner as a 1099 contractor. So technically, you know, as a sole proprietor. So um, I thought it would be a good idea to roll over my 401k into a SEP IRA. And that way I can contribute most of my earnings from that job. Maybe now I would... I wouldn't have done it that way. I probably would have done a Roth IRA. But I think the Roth IRA is more like a recent, you know, popular option. This was about like 12 years ago. It wasn't, you know, as popular back then. Awesome. Thanks for sharing a little bit about your thought process there. So walk us back in time a little bit. You are what, maybe 16 years old when you make this decision to kind of step into learning a little bit about nursing as a high schooler, which I feel like most people that I talk to who have done any sort of Head Start programs in high school kind of regret what they started studying at the time or, or you know, they, they made the decision at such a young age. Um, but you seemed like you really grasped onto that. Uh, did you just know when you graduated high school, you wanted to go into nursing right after that and get your bachelor's as well? in the field? Yes, I think when I started nursing in high school, I had a good introduction because a lot of people, when they study nursing in college, they have no idea what they're getting themselves into. And since I had already that background knowledge, I knew the RN program would be like easy for me, which it was. I had the option actually of doing an LPN to RN program that could have been just one year, you know, quick and easy. But I did decide to go to like a four-year university just because I wanted to get away from home, you know, be on my own, see, you know, what life would be like and just have the, you know, traditional college experience. I do not regret that at all because I feel like I grew so much those four years and learned a lot about myself and especially gained a lot of like leadership skills that are still, you know, usable today. Right. There's more to those four years of college than just the education itself, because there's so much personal growth and development that happens during those critical, critical years. So, okay, so you graduate um, with your bachelor's in nursing. And at what point did you get interested in finance? Did you set out to be a millionaire? Kind of talk (laughs) us through your financial uh, journey to get to where you are today. Yeah, so I would say, um, like I mentioned before, that I'm a second generation Haitian American. So having immigrant parents, I learned that, you know, money does not grow on trees. So my parents did talk about money. You know, sometimes there was a little bit of arguing because my mom wanted my dad to make more money to support four children. And I think we were maybe like lower middle class, but my parents were comfortable like living on debt. So I always knew that I didn't want to, you know, live off of debt. So once I graduated from graduate school, getting my nurse practitioner, I did end up having student loans from graduate school. I had a full scholarship that covered like 
I guess, partial scholarship. It covered two out of the three semesters. It was like an accelerated program. And the last semester, since it was a private school, it was, I think it was like 25000 just for that semester. So I ended up having $50,000 of student loans. And I knew as I, as soon as I graduated that I wanted to pay those off as soon as possible. So I came up with like a debt payoff plan. And within three years, I did pay off those student loans. I did have some role models. My parents did invest in real estate. So I always knew that that was something I wanted to do. And I had an older sister who is only a year and a half older than me. And she was a pharmacist and she was contributing to her 401k. So she encouraged me to contribute to mine as well. But it wasn't until, uh, I want to say 2019, that I had discovered the FIRE movement where people retire early. And it was because my sister and I had just purchased our second property. I had maxed out my 401k and I still had like $100,000 left over in cash. So I was like, oh, what should I do with this? So when I looked up online, I discovered this couple called Our Rich Journey. I don't know if you've heard of them. So they're a couple from California that retired in their 40, like by 40, and they moved to Portugal. So they have all these YouTube video series that I was watching, and I realized, oh, you can retire early. Like you don't have to wait until you're like in your 60s. So fortunately, I had already been doing everything right, anyways. But I calculated my retirement number, and I was close enough where I could retire in three to five years. So that got me more into the um, saving and investing mindset. You know, I was more focused about it. Wow. What what a cool story. And I love that you have kind of the opposite example of knowing what you didn't want. You, you saw your parents living in all this debt and you thought, okay, this seems stressful. <laughs> and this is not exactly how I'd like to live my life. Did you Do you have any other siblings that also went into the medical field or just you and your sister? No, just me and my sister. But since we are so close in age, we've been like close just with goals. And um, that's why we own two properties together. So luckily, I've had someone that, you know, I could go back and forth with to, you know, come up with ideas. Right. It's nice to have a partner, whatever that partnership looks like, you know, as you're making those those decisions and, um, and also just kind of sharing some of that financial burden and risk that mm-hmm. you're taking on as well. So, okay. So when did you purchase your first property. Was the first property the one that you lived in yourself or was that an investment? So the the first property was an investment that was purchased in 2016. So when my sister and I graduated from um, graduate school, her from pharmacy school, me from the nurse practitioner school, we um, actually lived with our grandparents because we figured let's save money on rent and pay off our student loans. So the opportunity came to us through our parents, actually. They had a family friend who whose mother was getting ready to, you know, pass away soon and they wanted to start selling, you know, some of the assets. So they were going to sell the house at lower than, you know, what's what it's worth. So we ended up buying it from them. And it ended up being a good investment because at the time, I think it was worth 220000 We purchased it for 180000 And now it's worth about $450,000. Yeah. Wow. Are you managing your own investment properties or do you have a management group that's doing it for you? Yeah, we self-manage. My sister mostly does it because on the side, she got her realtor license because she was so interested in real estate. So she usually manages the rental properties. How has that process been for you guys? Well, she actually ended up marrying a realtor as well. (laughs) So he helps us too. So it's been pretty straightforward. We've had, you know, good tenants. We've been lucky. Um, No major issues. Knock on wood. Very good. Very good. And you said you're looking for another rental property next? Yes. 
probably to, I want to purchase something like for me to live in, you know, maybe half the year. All right. And are all of your properties in a similar location or are they kind of scattered around? Yes, they're all in the same location. They're in, in Miami just because it's accessible. And it's been a really hot market, especially since COVID. Well, unfortunately, you know, for people looking to buy personal homes, but fortunately for investors, it you know, the market has pretty much doubled in value. Yeah, we were just uh, in Miami after we got off of a little family vacation. And there is some serious money in Miami, I will say. (laughs) I was in some travel loungewear and I was definitely not up to speed (laughs) with what I should have been wearing uh, on some of those streets. Yes, for sure. People dress up even to go to the grocery store. (laughs) But yeah, there's a lot of foreign investors too, um, you know, from South America, and they like to just keep their money in real estate. So a lot of real estate, even in downtown Miami, is just empty, just keeping, you know, money assets for those people. Really interesting. Stace, name some business partners that have really got it done. Procter and Gamble. Ben and Jerry. Pie and Demand. Salt and Pepper. Peanut Butter and Jelly. What about the perfect partners when it comes to growing your business? That's Shopify. That's right. That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to the leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is... No matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash unveiled all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash unveiled now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash unveiled. And thanks again to Shopify for supporting today's episode. Okay. So let's go a little bit more into your kind of career path. So I have, I know very little about locum tenens positions. I know that you travel with that. Are there benefits? Do you have benefits? Is there like one company that you do it with or are you hired on individually wherever a need is? What does that look like in terms of a career path? or someone. Yeah. So the way it works is that you work with an agency and they help find jobs for you. So there are various agencies. I don't always work with the same one. And some agencies work, they have you work as a 1099 contractor. So they just give you like the hourly pay, um, the malpractice insurance, housing and a rental car, and they'll pay for your travel too. But then there's there's another company that I often work for and, and they they um, pay you as a W-2 employee. So they provide all the above benefits, but also give you options to like a 401k and health insurance um, and some allowance for continuing education, which is nice. Interesting. So how long will you be with in any one position for a given period of time? The average assignment is about three months long. 
And then there's always an option to extend. So most of the assignments are for either like a maternity leave, maybe someone just retired, or they just open a practice and they're looking for a new provider. So while they're doing the search process, which can take several months, they have you like filling in that need. But most of the time, they always you know, want you to extend. Personally, I would just like to move on. But I have extended several times. Like one time I spent an entire year in Virginia, just because I really like the position. And then I've extended um, in Florida for six months or so, just because, you know, I wanted to be close to family at that given time. So it just varies. And how about the money? Is it different uh, in a locum tenum? Locum tenum? I don't know. I'm going to say this right. <laughs> Actually, a lot of right. people mess up that, that word. <laughs> Financially, is there an advantage to doing a locum tenum tenants position versus staying in one place? Yes, for sure. So the locum tenants usually get paid more than a permanent employee. Um, when I first started working as a nurse practitioner, my first job, I was making 90000 a year, um, maybe about 40 something per hour. And then I had negotiated increase to 60 an hour, which ended up being about like 125000 I think, per year. So my first assignment, I had asked for $75 Per hour. And then now, you know, years later, I usually work 95 to 100 per hour. So usually my income is about 200,000 per year. Wow. If I were to be a fly on the wall in those conversations on negotiating your rate, <laughs> talk me through how you do that. That's funny because my family always says I'm the number one negotiator. I think the best time to negotiate is after you interview with the job because at that point, the job, you know, they, they make it clear, oh, yeah, I really want you to work with us. So then the recruiter calls you and they say, hey, they want you to work for them. I say, okay, I'm interested, but I think I'm going to need this, this amount of money. And then normally they're always going to say, oh, no, we already agreed to this. And I usually just say, oh, well, I have another option, which I normally do have other options. So at that point, they have no other option but to give, you know, the rate that I want because the client wants me and they want to make the agency wants to make their profit too. So they just, you know, agree. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I, I love your, uh, your forthcomingness and, you know, asking for what you want. Uh, I know that that sometimes, especially for women can be intimidating or, uh, you know, I don't want to feel pushy or, or whatnot, but, um, I love the, the confidence and the strategy behind um, behind asking for what you want and getting what you want. That's amazing. Yeah, for sure. And what's interesting is since I mentioned I bounce around with different agencies. So some agencies, um, they'll offer certain services that others won't. So for example, as a prescriber, we need to have a DEA, which is like a license to prescribe controlled substances such as narcotics. And that license you have to renew every three years. It can cost $888. So, you know, one agency I work with, they always pay for it. But one time I was working with a different agency. So before I took the assignment, I said, oh, I'm going to have to renew my DA license. Is that something you can pay for? And I was already prepared. They were going to say no. So they said, no, we don't pay for that. And I said, okay, then sorry, I'm not going to be able to work for you because usually I get this covered. And so then, of course, five minutes later, they said, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll pay for it. The the answer changes really quickly when <laughs> when I I think when you are confident in giving a no is when they come back crawling you know more so offering 
what you originally wanted. If you'll if you're willing to walk away, then they're more likely to give you what you want. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so where do you go from here? Do you have a net worth goal? Do you see yourself doing locum tenens for a prolonged period of time? You mentioned fire. You got the fire of fire in 2019. <laughs> so, uh, so where is this taking you? Yeah, I think it's a little bit difficult for me to calculate uh, my exact fire number because technically I'm living like the ultimate life hack. I my cost of living is almost non-existent. I probably only spend maybe $1,000 a month out of pocket, you know, because my housing's taken care of, utilities. I don't even have a car anymore because my job gives me a rental car. I pay for gas, phone bill. So, you know, not much. So I have to calculate my fire number on what my expenses would be without having, you know, all those benefits from a job. So I think I would want to be more, I could technically retire now, but I think I want to be more closer to like a fat fire number, which would be closer to like the 1.5 to $2 million amount. So in the meantime, I am trying to semi-retire and work less. So normally, even with the $200,000 salary, I only work eight months a year or less than that. And I'm trying to reduce that to six months a year, which is which is another benefit of doing locum tenens. You know, you can just work what you want. The hard part, though, is, you know, there's such a need and demand for nurse practitioners that I'm always being <laughs> guilt tripped into working technically. So, for example, now I, I actually wanted to be off for the holidays, but, you know, they begged me to to work and take this job. And I said, oh, but, you know, I need to be off for Christmas. And they said, yeah, we'll give you the week off for Christmas. And I said, oh, okay. So since it's in Tampa, Florida, only four hours from home in Miami, I figured, ah, why not? So I ended up working. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it'll be harder than it seems to, you know, cut down the amount of time working. Right, right. Well, that compassionate nurse side of you is uh, is is willing to take care of the people who, who, who say they need your help. So what do you do with your time off each year? Yeah. So last year, I actually started doing a mini retirement. So I spent three months in Barcelona, Spain. And I had several friends that came to meet up with me and we traveled around different parts of Europe. And I ended up meeting my now boyfriend at that time. So he lives in Europe. So now I'm just, you know, trying to live in between US and Europe while he's able to, until he's able to move to the US. But besides that, I have two sisters and they, they have children now that are like three years old and younger. So I try to go visit them and, you know, spend time with the kids. And then I also have family and friends that live throughout the U.S. So I go and visit them. So besides traveling for work, what I do in my free time is also traveling. <laughs> <laughs> you're a full-time traveler and sometimes you work where you're traveling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Well, that's amazing. What a story. I love hearing about your your journey and path that got you here. What's your favorite spot that you've been to so far? For work or fun? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, people always ask me, oh, what's your favorite place you worked? So there's two different answers because the first, the my favorite place that I lived to work was is San Diego, California. You know, it's like the only place I would live like permanently outside of Florida just because it's diverse. You're by the beach, you know, good weather, lots to do. Um, as far as work, though, one of my the fa my favorite places I worked was actually in Maine. So I went there in the summer because I don't like cold weather. And it was really laid back. Um, one of the doctors, he would go fishing during his lunch break <laughs> at a local lake. <laughs> um, the patients were really easygoing. I just had a really good, you know, good time there. 
And then as far as traveling abroad, I've been to over 50 countries, so it's hard to, you know, just choose one. But I would say Egypt was amazing just because, you know, it's something you remember learning in school as a child and seeing in books. So it's like awesome to see that in real life. And then Croatia was also a place that was really awesome. Just, you know, blew my mind, was better than I expected. And it's somewhere I I wouldn't mind going back to again. What year did you go to Egypt? 2018 for my 30th birthday. (laughs) Oh, that was a fun birthday. I was in Egypt in 2010. So it's been a minute. And when I was there, it was the middle of the summer. And it was literally 120 degrees outside. (laughs) And I didn't think that was possible that people could exist. (laughs) (laughs) And the heat that was there, but really cool experience to see something so old. And I know nothing about Croatia, but now I'm intrigued. Yes, definitely go there. And when I went to Egypt, it was in the winter. So we were a little bit smarter. (laughs) Thanks for that. (laughs) To be fair, I was on a study abroad, so I had a little less control. (laughs) But uh, wow. Amazing. I love to hear where you've been. And I actually don't think I know of anyone who's been to 50 countries. So that's very impressive. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Let's wrap up with some rapid fire. And actually, I think that this first question could be a little less rapid fire uh, because uh, I know that your heritage and being a second generation Haitian American is important. You've mentioned it a couple of times. So I'd love to know a key lesson you learned from childhood. A key lesson, I think, would be from my mom, which is to be an independent woman. She taught that to all three of her um, daughters. And I think because in the Haitian culture, the woman is taught to depend on her husband. And she wanted us, you know, to be able to support ourselves so that so that the time came, we were able to, you know, do what we needed, not have to rely on someone else. Strong, independent woman. Who don't need no man. (laughs) All right. What's the most expensive pair of shoes you bought? Uh, Being a traveling nurse practitioner, I've become a minimalist. I don't really care to have things anymore just because I don't, I can't take it all with me. So for shoes, I'm more about comfort, maybe like a hundred bucks. What about your most expensive meal out? So this was when I had gone to Dubai with my family. I wanted to do afternoon tea at one of their like famous hotels called the Burj Al Arab. But the problem was the afternoon tea cost $250 per person. <laughs> so I asked my family if they were okay doing that. And they said, yeah, yeah, sure. But don't tell your dad because he'll never agree. So when the time came to pay the bill, I quickly got the bill and paid it. But when the server brought back the bill. My dad saw the receipt and he's like, what? $250 per person? He's like, make sure you eat every crumb on your plate and finish every last (laughs) drop of tea. (laughs) So funny story. We actually went to Dubai on our honeymoon and we did the afternoon tea because it was the cheapest way to get in to that hotel. And uh, the funny thing is when you don't drink alcohol, it's really high. <laughs> it's, it's really hard. We're, we're buying drinks for other tables, trying to hit our minimum. 
<laughs> that actually cool was the best tea I've ever had, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And what an experience. It's it's really beautiful there. I We got there and it was like Rolls Royces everywhere. Oh, and yes. we were just married and had like, I mean, we spent the last of whatever we had <laughs> to, to be on our honeymoon. All right. Do you use a credit card? Yes, I, I am really big into travel hacking. What has been your favorite bucket list experience you've had so far? So I've always <laughs> I've always been obsessed with koalas ever since I was a kid. I'm not really like a huge animal lover, but for some reason I've liked koalas because, you know, they look cute and cuddly, but they're secretly a little vicious. So I went to Australia and I got to go to the koala sanctuary in Brisbane and I held a koala and it was amazing. And I spent like hours there watching the koalas interact and my friends were ready to leave. And I was like, no, just one more hour, one more hour. (laughs) But that was amazing. So fun. I didn't know they had koala sanctuaries there. I've heard of elephant sanctuaries, but (laughs) I'll have to check out the koala cuddles. (laughs) Yeah, you should go. It's awesome. What financial habit has changed the most since you became a millionaire? So now that I've saved enough for I feel like I can let it compound um, and build on its own. I've tried to work on spending more. It's hard because there's nothing I really long for. You know, I'm content with everything I have. And especially, you know, I travel my free time, mostly free from travel hacking anyways. So I've tried to buy instead of like buy more things, just buy back more time, which is, you know, working less, but still a work in progress. Very nice. What's a closely held belief that you've changed your mind on? As a mil- as a millennial, I always believed that I wasn't going to let work be my identity. But now that I'm trying to transition and work less, I've realized that actually like being a nurse is a 100% part of my identity. Like I've mentioned, you know, I'm trying to work less, but I have that guilty conscious about it. And, you know, especially when I do work, patients are so grateful because they say, oh, I've been waiting three months to get an appointment. So I feel bad not, you know, giving my time that I can graciously offer them. Sorry, that was such a good little thought. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to dive into my next question, but then I I wanted to to respond to what you said. I I think I agree with that. I, I know that we talk about not having that be your identity, but it's a huge piece of who you are and what you've spent the majority of your waking day, you know, doing. So uh what an important piece of of your puzzle and who you are. What was your first job? So my first job was my mom's friend. She needed someone to help file papers. It was just like a few hours a week, nothing serious. After that, my first real job was um, as a licensed practical nurse while I was in college. And I would do home health for kids who were sick. Um, Either they had like a trach tube or they had like a feeding tube. And I did the night shift. So it was actually a little bit hard. Well, it was easy because they were sleeping, but it was hard to stay awake. (laughs) <laughs> that would be hard. I, I, uh, I'm tired for you. <laughs> What's the most fun you've had with money? Uh, I think I would go back to the sabbatical I took last summer because I rented a nice Airbnb that was across the street from La Sagrada Familia, which is like the famous church in Barcelona. And it was two bedrooms. So I had friends come stay with me. And then we traveled to Eastern Europe. That's when I went to Croatia, had an amazing time there, went to Portugal, met up with friends I haven't seen in years. And then that's how I ended up meeting my current boyfriend. So even though I didn't make good income for those three months and ended up spending money, it was well worth it. So the experiences matter for you. 
Mm-hmm. As a second generation Haitian American, what does it mean to you to live and work in America? Yeah, I'm extremely grateful that my parents moved here, especially right now in Haiti. There's lots of problems. I used to go to Haiti to volunteer there in the summers, but I haven't been able to go in years just because they have a lot of crime. So I feel grateful to be able to, you know, live that American dream, um, have a good quality of life and not have to worry about basic necessities. I think it can be hard to even imagine what that life would be like to not be able to meet your basic needs. It's so far removed. but amazing you've been able to go back at least at some point and and kind of experience that all right final pieces of advice for someone just starting out i would say you can just educate yourself these days it's so easy there's tons of youtube videos podcasts and books that you can learn different subjects such as investing real estate um creating a business so i would definitely start there okay actually i had i had one more question come up what's the What's been the best financial decision you've made? It's a good question. Uh, I think the best financial decision was when I watched the Our Rich Journey videos in 2019. January 2020 is when I opened my brokerage account and invested there. And then because of the pandemic, you know, that money flourished. That's great. Awesome, Sophia, with a net worth of $1.2 million. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website, millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.